0: Yeah, I've spoken to the players and uh, we've had a full and frank discussion and uh, we all agree that the uh, Smaller Fish guys are not just accredited clubs and their counties, but uh, to homo sapiens all over the world. I want nothing to do with that podcast, absolutely not. The Smaller Fish, not for me, no way. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are and we're trying hard to make it through, but it's
1: harder to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. <laughs> So the LGFA released their transgender policy last week which allows transsexual women or biological males compete in the women's game. The decision has come in for a lot of criticism and today I'm joined by two women who opposed the new policy. Danielle Lockery plays fo- fo- football for Bunkrana GEA and is also the PRO for the Donegal County Board and Sorica is the sports working team lead for the Countess Advocacy Group for Women and Children. Welcome to you both.
2: Thanks. hi colin how you doing thanks for having us on
1: no problem i'll start with you danielle you kind of broke this story i don't know how you found it there was no real press release about this it just arrived on the lgfa website and you were all over it and you 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 wrote out a twitter thread and it received huge um reaction
2: yeah it was one of those strange ones where um well the policy was emailed out to all clubs last thursday morning and I got a look at it, had a quick read through it. And I thought, right, by the time I finish work now and go home, there's bound to be something on Twitter uh, about this because it's a it's a big deal. Like it's a, it was a huge unexpected sort of jump. Nobody was waiting for the policy to be suddenly up on the LGFA webpage and live. So I got home then in the evening time and I, the more I was looking, and the more I was thinking about it, I was like, why is this not been? picked up why are we not already talking about this so yeah I sat then on on Thursday night and read a thread and put it on Twitter and before I knew it it had kind of taken off now normally my tweets you'd be lucky if I got 10 likes so this was a big shock to me whenever it suddenly did take off a bit but I just couldn't sit there and, and be quiet I thought this needs to get out there for somebody to see somebody has to pick up on it and and Get the word out there. See what people think. You know. Yeah, and
1: the re- the reaction the reaction has been huge. Maybe not in the mainstream media, um, but online for sure. Um, Sereka, you wrote in the Countess.ie website that the LGFA has completely abandoned safety and fairness for women and girls. We'll get to the safety and fairness Mm -hmm. for women and girls in a minute. But I wanted to talk about the consultation um, part of this new policy, because the LGFA said in, in the new policy that it followed a lengthy and detailed consultation process, which took into consideration worldwide international practice and legal advice. Like, is that is that is that true?
0: Well, you'd have to ask the LGFA if that is true, but it seems hard to believe that they produced a policy like this and yet managed to base the one metric that they're using, they managed to base it on outdated um, guidelines from the IOC, which which have been replaced since, and not take into any consideration the um, World Rugby study, which was seminal and huge and resulted in the World Rugby changing their policy on this exact issue. So um, wherever they got their, their advice from, it doesn't say anywhere in the document or in their most recent statement. And um, they certainly have left out some major pieces of information.
1: They definitely did, because when you look at the World Rugby one, they obviously followed the LGFA Seemed to have followed the 2015 International Olympic Committee guidelines, mm-hmm. which are very similar. But since then, mm-hmm. there have been other studies that have come out, Um, you know, and yeah. the big one is the, the big one is the rugby. And on the rugby website, all presentations delivered by all the experts they consulted with at a meeting are available on the World Rugby um, website. And, you know, it's very transparent. It's out there. And with the LGFA, it's kind of we don't we don't know where they came to this conclusion. And we, you know, we don't know who
0: they consulted with. Well, it seems like they had they certainly haven't consulted with the likes of ourselves in the Countess Sports Working Group. Um, they don't seem to have consulted with uh, the Gaelic Players Association. Um, it doesn't seem like any grassroots uh, volunteers, referees, managers, coaches, players were consulted. Um, the impact on women doesn't seem to have been considered at all. It's really based on the inclusion of males in the female game. There's nothing in the policy that, st- that mentions uh, the, the situation for Females who wish to identify in a male way, so tr- what uh refer to themselves as trans men um there's no statement about those particular group of people being included or excluded um so it seems like there's big gaps in the consultation, but because the l g f a haven't really said anything in the public domain, it's difficult to know what their actual position is um I certainly will be very interested to find out
1: yeah i i have i invited the l g f a on to talk. Um, for this piece, and they declined. They're not um, talking outside of issuing that brief a brief statement. And it doesn't probably help things, Danielle, that they can't explain. You know, are they following that outdated um, research from 2015? You know, there's another study which um, I was reading about in The Guardian from 2019. It was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, and that called into question all of the 2015 IOC guidelines. And the rugby one is the most kind of annoying because it's a team sport. Now, it's not as heavily, you know, it's not... Women's football isn't as big into collisions as rugby, but there are collisions, I suppose, Danielle. Would this not be the more relevant, you know, guidance to follow?
2: You would be thinking, yeah, that that would be, considering the guidelines they used, like you says, from 2015. There have been numerous more guidelines and studies and research been carried out since that. So I wonder... Has it not been looked at? Why was it not recommended for whoever sat down to to talk about this policy? Why were they not given the opportunity to look through that stuff? Or did they somehow manage to deem it irrelevant to the policy? I have no idea. Because the thing is, um, they were saying that this was debated and talked about at Central C- Council recently. And that there was over 80 people you know, from all the different counties represented there at the Central Council. But the thing is, the people at the Central Council had no guidance from their own home clubs about how to vote on the policy because the yeah. policy was never sent to county boards or to clubs mm-hmm. to discuss and debate and talk about before this went to Central Council. So it was one of those things where they were put on the spot to vote on it, and I, I don't know why it was done that way.
1: Yeah. Had you any consultation as Donegal PRO? the Donegal County Board any consultation? I spoke with um, senior inter-county players and they said they had no consultation. The GPA have said that they've been taken by surprise, that they were actually in a working group with the LGFA, the Camogie Association and other sporting bodies to formulate a policy on the matter. And the work was paused because Sport Ireland were looking at a similar project. So they had kind of shelved that and they're completely seem to be blindsided by the LGFA policy. W- was was no one consulted, Danielle? Like you were at the grassroots um, here.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I've only taken took up the PRO role in November there, which isn't that long ago. So that's the start of this policy talking about what you know within the LGFA had gone before that back in, you know, September, October time. But yet since I've been there, there's been no emails or correspondence to myself or that I know of to anybody else on the board. Now, of course, I can't speak for sure on that. Maybe they have, but, you know, there was no general, this is coming up, please talk about it with your members at the next county board meeting and because there's going to be a vote coming up, you know, at the next central Yeah, Uh, Council. So, yeah, it was very out of left field, as they say, whenever the email came around last Thursday morning that this was now in place. Everybody, I think, was left a little bit dumbfounded as to how this has come out so soon. uh, Where's the guidelines come from and why were not we all given a chance to to look at them and speak about it?
1: Yeah, it needs to be pointed out in case I was clear. World rugby has effectively banned transgender players um, from playing. From from the female game. (laughs) from the female from the female game Um, exactly let's talk about the advantages here Surika, because testosterone is the big you know talking point here and Mm -hmm. i'll just start off with a quote from uh nile miner who's a professor of clinical exercise physiology um in dcu most people listening will know um nile miner he was asked on rte if transgender athletes have an advantage and like he's unequivocal on this he says indeed they do it's basic biology prior to puberty boys and girls can compete evenly But after the first year of secondary school, when boys go through the growth spurt and that's due to testosterone, which is a male hormone, and they end up with about 15 times higher concentration of testosterone in their bodies compared to women. Because of that, they end up being taller. They have longer wingspans. Their pelvic architecture is different. They have larger hearts, larger lungs, larger muscle mass. So Mm -hmm. I suppose just to get the scientific um, view on it, and this is the up to date scientific view on it, I suppose, Soroka, that Mm -hmm. the, the advantages are clear
0: the advantages are clear and they're not negated in any way, in any meaningful way by a slight reduction in the testosterone of the adult. So if you take away a tiny bit of testosterone from somebody who's already bigger, stronger, faster, with bigger lungs, a bigger heart, bigger hands, which is relevant yeah. um, to Gale, you know, none of those are changed in any way by a slight suppression in testosterone. And this slight suppression is even still is two to five times higher than the women in the game would have. So, you know, it isn't really a very useful metric in any way for determining whether this is fair or not. But the other thing I would say is science is clear. People know, people on the sidelines know that this is wrong, that including males in female sport is wrong and unfair. You only have to go down Like I do, you know, on a Saturday morning, you stand, you watch the girls on one side of the pitch training and the boys on the other, and the differences are clear for everyone to see. You know, yes, we need the science to back it up, but we need some common sense here as well, like...
1: Yeah. So common sense doesn't seem to be very, you know, <laughs> very much used in this whole thing. So I think the science is important to point it out because people are afraid mm. to use their common, si- common sense. Uh, you know, as far as I was con- be concerned, it like in line yeah. with the, in- the 2015 International Olympic Committee guidelines, and we mentioned this already, and this is what the LGFA policy is copying. Yeah. So anyone over 16, they need to provide medical records showing that they've lowered their testosterone. Right. So they've lowered their testosterone. Um, to levels in the previous 12 months, which were less than or equal to 10 nanomoles per litre. Now, you've kind of Mm. touched on this, Soraka, 10 nanomoles per litre is the low, very, very lower level Mm. of male testosterone, but that would still be maybe three Mm. to five times higher um, than the women. And that's what's required. Now, you know, like we haven't even mentioned, Danielle, like this is suppressing adults testosterone to a level. But all of the advantages that they've gotten through puberty, through, you know, all the different uh, physical attributes, they can't be negated, Danielle. Like, I mean, so you, you, you'll have a situation where women are coming up against, yes, they might tick the boxes on the testosterone, but they are fully developed male bodies.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. Like once uh, these young men go through puberty before they transition, Um, even to have a testosterone level of under the 10 nanomoles per litre. I mean, an adult female will, in her life, maybe not even have two nanomoles per litre. So you're chatting, there's huge differences there. And if you look, I think it was um, the IAAF for athletics stipulate that, you know, if a female goes above five nanomoles per litre, she's classed as doping and and she'll be taken out of competition but yet we are allowing yeah. trans women to come in and be up to 10. I just mm-hmm. don't understand how, I just don't understand as simple as that, I suppose, really. Um, yeah. Do you because... want to come in on that, Sarka? Okay.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree with what Danielle said. It's I don't re- really, we don't understand what the basis for this policy is, other than that they say themselves, you know, that they're supposed to be inclusive. For an inclusive policy, is has disregarded a whole half of their the population it's supposed to be aimed at and the inclusion of women and girls in the sport. If you include males in the sport, you will exclude women and girls. They will lose places on teams. They will self-exclude because they feel they can't compete or it's not safe or they don't want to share a dressing room or, you know, they just lose heart. So inclusion for one group is exclusion for another. And that's a very serious when you think of how hard it's been to raise the profile of women's sport in general and ladies Gaelic football in particular, and how great it has been over the last number of years to see, you know, huge attendances at Croke Park and finals, ladies games on the telly at the weekend, you know, all of those really positive things can be completely withdrawn and removed by inclusion. So yeah, we are totally against it. Um, yeah, like, like,
1: sorry sorry to cut you off uh, circle let, let's talk about the safety concern mm-hmm. um, here Danielle so we've we've outlined the advantages right yeah. so they're clear mm-hmm. so now we have to come to a safety issue I saw you quoted in the independent um, Danielle saying to me it's dangerous clubs and county boards are encouraging teams not to use younger girls in women's matches because it's dangerous but now they want transgender women to take part with all those advantages like in the even in the men's game you wouldn't let a 16 year old play adult football because it's dangerous no. like why is this not seen as dangerous
2: i don't know because there has been a lot of discussion through the lgfa because the rule at the minute is you know that any girl over the age of as long as she's not eligible for under 14 she can play qualify to play and a senior ladies team at her club and such so, so now you're telling me you know that this girl could come up against uh, a transgender woman who could be in her 20s you know twice the size of her that is definitely going to cause danger. That is definitely going to cause concussion. I mean, over the last number of years, how many different um, discussions on, on, on concussion have we seen and heard about sports? That that's just one of the things that's going to creep in more and more as mm-hmm. these players are allowed to play more on our teams. Um, And that's just on the pitch. You talk about safety then off the pitch. How is a 16, 17, 18 year old girl going to feel in a changing room with a transgender woman? What, What safety precautions have we got there? What guidelines is there for clubs in relation to is there to be separate facilities provided? Will this even be adequate for transgender woman? Will they be happy enough with that? You know, there's a lot to talk about going forward if they plan on keeping this policy in place. Well, just to stay with you, because you're still playing, what is what is the etiquette, say, for
1: a male manager when he's managing um, the women's football team? You know, when you're getting changed and showering, what, what happens in that scenario?
2: Well, he normally stays outside. Uh, we go in then, and once we are all ready, sort of one of the older girls in the team or your captain or whoever will go around, make sure everybody's dressed, ready, whatnot. And then she will literally go out and maybe get the manager and say, right, we're ready for you. You can come in. He can't just walk in whenever he feels like it, or even just knock on the door and think that's enough. He can come walking on in. That's the way we do it anyway. You have to be so careful with this. So, you know, our managers and our coaches aren't allowed to be in our changing rooms. How are we to allow a transgender woman to be in there sitting with our girls? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a, a lot of people saw the photographs from last year um, of the transgender woman playing the junior final in Dublin, um, Julia Valentino. Um, you know, the referee stopped the game and said, "There's a problem with your number twenty-one. The player's a man." Um, you know, most people that would look at Julia Valentino would say it's a man. There's yes. there's an element of the Emperor's New Clothes about this whole thing because Julia Valentino, you know, identifies as a woman and you know has clearly has gender dysphoria and thinks that they're a woman but I don't have gender dysphoria when I look at Julio Valentino playing the women's game, Surica, I see uh, like a middle-aged man tackling younger girls, like a fully grown man.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you're not wrong, you're being told that you're wrong to see that and think that, but you're not mm-hmm. wrong your eyes are are not wrong, we're usually pretty accurate about these things um, yeah, so I, I would be, we would be going back to things like safeguarding and it's not just sim- simply like you can't just say safeguarding, you have to act safeguarding, like what Danielle outlines there, that the coaches and the managers are respectful of the the women and girls getting changed. They wait, you know, far enough away from the door, in fact, in my experience as, um, you know, doing first aid and female supervision down in camogie matches. They don't come anywhere near the place. They'd be mortified if they thought you thought they were anywhere near the door of the changing room. Like, it's not acceptable. You know, and the younger women and, and girls, you know, 12, 13-year-olds, they don't even change in front of each other. They'll be going into the toilets. They'll, they'll walk across the pitch, you know, to get to get a jersey on rather than, than pull off their jersey and change or anything like that. They're very self-conscious. So their right to dignity and privacy is as important as their right to fairness and competitiveness. You know, they have to be protected and encouraged to stay in the game. Like, it's not, it's not okay to say oh he, he says he's a woman so you're you have to cha- change in the room with him like that's not okay for any young woman to be told that her boundary is somehow a wrong boundary it's not acceptable
1: yeah the leah thomas example it obviously mm-hmm. has made international news and and That's the transgender woman that, you know, is breaking records in swimming. And one of Leah Thomas's opponents, Riley Gaines, spoke recently. She was a 12 time NCAA All-American and she spoke about this, sharing the dress room. So there's a safety issue, but there's also the privacy um, issue. And Riley Gaines said the NCAA forced female swimmers to share a locker locker room with Thomas, a six foot four, 22 year old male who is fully intact with male genitalia. If nothing else, I hope you can truly see how this is a violation of our privacy and how some of us have felt uncomfortable, awkward, embarrassed, and even traumatized. Like, they're really powerful words, um, Danielle, when you hear a woman saying it. And the strange thing about this is that not all women are in agreement with this. You know, there are women that won't mind this. Um, I don't know what percentage that is, but there there can be vocal online. Um, How would you feel togging out beside Julia Valentino, for example.
2: Well, I most certainly wouldn't be very comfortable or feel very happy or safe in a changing room with some self, even as a woman. You go through life. I'm now nearly forty. There's plenty of scenarios you've been in where you've been in a room with a fully coved man who's six foot four and whatnot. But depending on how his reaction and how he behaves and looks at you, you are always, as a woman, on alert. And now we're bringing these men into your changing rooms with underage girls or younger girls on, on teams and it's just, I just feel like our boundaries have been completely taken away like we're not allowed to have have boundaries anymore we must knock it down and let everybody come in and take our female spaces and I have to look out for my children growing up and to keep them safe as well yeah. Well, yeah. well, that's it. And I suppose, you
1: know, everybody is thinking about their children, you know, their sisters and um, things like that and the unfairness and the safety. And But, you know, it seems to me, Surica, that the feelings of these transgender women and they have my sympathy, like gender dysphoria, it's obviously a very uncomfortable life, you know, so you don't want to be too hard on them, especially the younger, the teenagers. Like, that's who I, my heart really goes out to because it must be really, really, really difficult But can the feelings of this really, really small minority of people supersede the feelings of women who feel awkward, you know, uncomfortable and traumatised?
0: No, um, we in the Countess certainly don't believe that. Uh, Our main mission, in fact, is to protect uh, women and girls' spaces. Um, part, as part of, you know, looking at the Gender Recognition Act, which was introduced in 2015, and how that has impacted on our rights as women and girls to protect our spaces, ha- to have single sex spaces, regardless of gender. Uh, but that it's it's actually, it's your sex, it's your physical sex uh, that impacts these kind of things. And it's that that impacts on your feelings of safety, it impacts on your vulnerability, and it impacts on, you know, your mental health. And you know, teenagers need support to deal with whatever uh, difficulties they're having, whether that be um, in relation to their physical bodies or mental health or anything like that. That's absolutely unquestionable. We cannot abandon these children, but we equally must stick to the principle of fairness and dignity based on single sex spaces rather than on feelings or subjective um, ideas of somebody's identity. There has to be a boundary there. And to us, that boundary is around sex.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. the the reaction to the reaction to this has been huge. And I'm going to be criticized for getting two guests on that have similar views yeah. um, on it. But like I, d- I did a Twitter poll, like people generally, when I say things like this on Twitter, uh, don't uh, usually don't agree with me. Um, it's been, you know, huge reaction all with the same opinion on this. Like it's it's, like it's hard to believe. I did a Twitter poll this morning and in about five hours there was 9000 votes, Danielle, and 94 percent disagreed with this decision. This is not popular. So Ireland is a country that's very, very progressive and liberal mm-hmm. and we want to do the right thing by people. But, you know, there's a there's an element of this is just pushing it that little bit too far that, you know, people just don't think this is right.
2: Yeah, it was just such a shock that it came so quickly out of nowhere. We knew they were working on this policy, for, but for it to fact be there now that we have to abide by, it was a shock to everybody. And I think the consensus probably is across a lot of people in this country is like anybody who is um, transgender, they do, like you have touched on this already, they need the support and they need everybody behind them. And they're allowed to have their rights. God, of course, I would have no problem with a transgender woman joining the LGFA to become a coach, a mentor, to help volunteer, to do anything that they wanted at the club and support of the club, but not play, not get on a pitch and play against biological females. That's the bit that I'm struggling with. Yeah. Mm. And
1: yeah. that, you know, that, that like I would be the same as that. Like, you I mean, you want to be accepting, but this is like, we keep going back to it. It's a safety issue. Mm-hmm. It's not a transphobic issue. It's a safety yes. for women issue. And if you keep coming back to that and it's a privacy issue, the dressing room thing for me on the field and the collisions and the dressing room thing for me having a, a young daughter, I, you know, I would be very concerned about that. And I think it's an important conversation to have mm-hmm. circuit like usually the opposition to this Um, Like I reached out to some of the transgender charities and I got no reply um, from them online, certainly when you can make a very, I think there's a very scientific argument against it, you know, and the safety, the privacy, all those things. The argument for it seems to be just to call people transphobic.
0: Well, that's par, That's pretty much par for the course when you're engaged in these kind of issues. You know, we're fairly used to that here in the Countess and we usually just counter that by, uh, like you have just done, going back to the science, going back to popular opinion, the Countess ran a Red Sea poll in 2020, which basically came up with what you've just said there. Most people do not want, you know, um, adult males or or teenager, teenage males sharing spaces and sharing sports with um, biological females. It's just... It's just a fact of life like so you know if you but but you do get shut down and um you know you we we just have to kind of accept that it that we have a difference of opinion Um, obviously we at the countess have a lot of evidence to back up our opinions and um, we're not often presented with evidence from the other side but we're open to it um you know if somebody wants to come on and have a chat uh, and present to us a really really clear uh, and compelling argument for why we're wrong in this i'd be You know more than happy to have that chat with them but it doesn't seem to be possible to have a reasoned debate in this area you know without them resorting to misogyny or um you know slurs or things like that so yeah that your experience is pretty much the same as anybody who's been campaigning in this area like the countess have been since 2020.
1: Yeah, the vulnerable children one really gets me because, like I said earlier, my heart goes out to them and it's yeah. very, very difficult. And that's probably, the, you know, this emotive stuff is what, you know, is thrown at you. And it's hard to have a response to that because you don't have to be cruel um, or heartless. W- World Rugby Guidance has a clause that transgender women who transition pre-puberty... Um, and have not experienced any biological effects of testosterone during puberty and adolescence, can play women's rugby. I'm not sure if the RFU have adopted that, but that's the guidance on world rugby. This would this would fix the, the safety um, issue. The dressing room issue, maybe not, not as much. Well,
0: our position, unfortunately, is pretty much the same. Um, you know, but the reality is that most children who would have been placed on puberty blockers um probably wouldn't be playing any kind of sport the damage to their bodies from those kind of drugs has been actually outlined by the tavistock in the uk um who did who you know were administering these drugs and in small follow up did find significant effects on their health and well-being their bone density and things like that so you know we do have to look at the safety for those players absolutely and the the best thing for those but they're very vulnerable young people, you know, who are very different to the cohort that's being described with this policy. And it isn't really fair to continually use those vulnerable young people as, you know, sort of holding up an example as to why we're terrible people, because we won't include them. We're not saying we won't ever include, you know, that kind of cohort. We're saying in the main, that's not the cohort we're dealing with. If you look at, you know, the websites of... um the transge- transgender rights organisations here even they say that most people don't have any form of medical transition they don't have surgery and they don't really um they may t- take uh, cross-sex hormones as adults but they won't usually have had puberty blockers there's only something like 200 and something Irish children have been referred um, to the UK for that treatment and um, it's not clear and it hasn't been released how many of those actually were taking puberty blockers so you're talking about less than 200 kids here um, who will have been very vulnerable who will have medical complications as a result of that treatment anyway and yes they absolutely need our support and our help but you know the the policy of the countess is really that uh, you know female spaces are for females and male spaces are for males and if those young young people need support that it should be done within the male space so the male uh, GAA will have to step up and provide a policy that allows for them to play if that's what they want and allows for them to be safe while they do so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. No well that's true. Just to finish up, so uh Sorica, what about the campaign you're launching is to save women's sports? Um you're urging all concerned players, club members, county boards, um, to send a letter to the LGFA.
0: So, yeah, so we in the sports work group have been looking at this area in a wider context for um, quite a while and, you know, have been a part of the sort of Save Women's Sports campaign for quite a while. But um, in particular, when we saw this issue, we targeted it um, because we felt it was so huge in Ireland and Irish sport. So we developed a template letter for people. They can download it from our website, which is the countess.ie. They can read our statement there and they can use our letter. Um, they can amend it any way they want. Uh, it's just to, just to give them an idea of what to say, really, and uh, where to send it. And um, we are looking to get people, you know, on board. And really, the only way this policy would be reverted is if enough grassroots volunteers, people like myself and Danielle, you know, people like yourself, um, coaches, parents, anybody who's concerned, needs to get out there and really make their voices heard. You know, talking on Twitter or among yourselves is not going to cut it. This has, to be re- this has to be reversed and it has to be reversed now before any day, any harm comes to women and girls in this sport.
1: Danielle and Sereka, thanks very much for giving us your time. We'll talk to you again.
0: Thank you for having thanks, us. Thanks, Colm. Thanks for having us on. I've yes, spoken to the players and uh, we've had a full and frank discussion and uh, we all agree that the uh, Smaller Fish guys are not just accredited clubs, no counties, but to, to Homo sapiens all over the world. I want nothing to do with that podcast. Absolutely not. The smaller fish, not for me. No way. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and
1: we're trying hard to make it true. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish.
0: Never, never.